Ben Mulroney here sitting in for Greg Brady and a real pleasure to be leading Think Tank. Every now and then I get to sit in and be a guest on his Think Tank. Today it's I'm Flipping the Tables and my guests today are Stephanie Smythe, broadcaster and former colleague of mine, I might add, and Mark Saunders, a former police chief and a former mayoral candidate and both great Think Tank guests. Thanks so much for joining me again, guys. Hey, good morning. Great to be here. I'm so glad to see you. Let's jump right into these topics. Uh, People who've been listening all morning know my opinion on this, but I want to get your take that uh, Canada is experiencing a massive population boom with over 430 new people, 430,000 new people coming to Canada over the last three months. And uh, I want to ask you guys on its face, is that a good or bad thing? Uh, Stephanie, we'll start with you. Well, look, we need the good side is immigration brings economic growth, which is what this country needs so desperately. That's the good thing. The problem is you can't add this many people without adding the infrastructure, you know, the housing that we're talking about, the transportation without some major cracks showing in the system. So we're already seeing the impact of the immigration on housing prices in key areas like Toronto and Vancouver, uh, and we're seeing increased strain on our healthcare system, as well as you know people being unable to access care. Um, so uh, you know there are problems with it. Absolutely, it's you know meteoric growth of a population of the population. It's just there's got to be ways to get things you know efficiently taken care of in terms of housing and getting things under control to make it you know what it is supposed to be the good side of it. Bring that growth to this country. And Mark Saunders, I never thought that I would ever see a number like that and and be worried for Canada. And because I, I, I agree with Stephanie, we are a country that desperately needs to bring new Canadians in in order for us to be the country that we want to be. Immigration has always been our strength. And it really is quite telling that we see a number like that that used to excite us. And now it's really concerning. Yeah, I agree, Ben. But, you know, I I have to look at it for its truth as well. And and the problem is Canada is one of the most aging countries in the world. Mm. So the fact that over the last five years, we had a 40 percent, 43 percent increase on people turning 100. The fact that we have over a thousand people a day turning 65, we've got a workforce that is leaving. We need more depth in our workforce. But how the government is doing it, it's an absolute hot mess, like Stephanie said. Affordable housing is such a key and critical issue right now. The infrastructure is not there. And what bothers me is this has been a problem for years. We've got people driving taxis that are doctors, that are engineers. So there are things that could be done, but we've just been going about it the wrong way. And there's a real strong lack of coordination from across all levels of government, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Let's move on to another uh, topic of conversation. Another big, bold pronouncement by the feds where they have laid out their plan to phase out the sale of gas powered cars and trucks by 2035. Their goal is to ensure that by that year, you cannot buy a car or a truck with an internal combustion engine. Um, I look, I, I want to have one of those cars one day. It's not uh, in my budget anytime soon. Um, do you think that it is realistic that, that we as a country are going to hit that target? Uh, Stephanie? Oh, gee, thanks for asking me first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, short answer is how? How is this going to happen? Yeah. I, I think, you know, it is a lofty goal. And for whatever reason, they've, tar- they've been in, you know, intent on targeting a certain timeline um i think 
that at this point in time, even the public getting on board, we all love the idea of, of these electronic vehicles, right? We love that whole concept. I think there is something cool and futuristic about it almost. Yeah. And But the problem is, is that the infrastructure, once again, yeah. the lack of chargers just makes me so frightened. I'm frightened without my phone. Imagine my car, right? <laughs> I, sh- I should so, ask both of you, but before we go on, do you guys own electric vehicles? No, not yet. No? But I'm, you know, we truly consider it, but the infrastructure isn't there yet. Mr. Saunders? I do have an electric vehicle, but I certainly have a lot to say about it. Well, Ooh. please, please, I'd love to. We'd love to hear. So, so I, I, I'm. Can I make a, a guess? Are you a two-car family? No. Oh, you're not. So, you, so you have one prime. You have one car, and it is an electric vehicle. That's interesting. I would have thought yeah. that it was the second car. But go on. Oh, so, yeah, what do you have to say about these things? It, it, it gets more interesting because I live in a condo too. The infrastructure for condos is next to zero. So you have to be creative. I'm in the city of Toronto, so I have that opportunity. But as soon as I leave Toronto, get into any portion of the GTA, it becomes a lot more difficult. So the amount of infrastructure that they have to develop is going to be insane. And most people right now are going, I can't afford groceries, let alone even have an electric car discussion. But here's the thing. It, 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 It aligns with what I said earlier, Ben. We need more people coming into this country. They're not going to be buying e-cars. We need to bolster our transit system tremendously, our Mm. subways and and our buses and all kinds of things so that people can get around. And as we're getting older, I don't want to be driving. I would rather have a convenient transit system that is safe, and then that will help the footprint far better than all of this other aspirational stuff that they're talking about. But this seems yet again by this is like a, a pronouncement that this government seems intent on making where they don't really do the, the hard work of getting into the details. They don't. The devil is in the details with every plan. And it's a lovely thing to say that they want us to they don't want to sell any of these cars by 2035 with internal combustion engines. It's another mm-hmm. thing to actually do the work to get us to a place where that can happen. And it doesn't seem like this government uh, spends enough time on the details of the events because they, they want to be able to congratulate themselves and have people in certain circles say, oh, congratulations, you're moving Canada into the, uh, the right place. And they want their friends in the environmental circles to say, good job on setting those targets. And it doesn't really matter whether we hit them or not. Well, you know, I just saw like in this conversation talking about uh, charging. So in order to meet this goal by 2035, we're going to need in Canada – about as many as 469,000 charging ports, the public ones, right? And now, as of December 1st, in this country, there's 10,425 charging stations and 25,000, you know, charging ports based on data from, like, this uh, group that is uh, connected to Natural Resources Canada. So do you see that meteoric rise that's needed by 2035? Like, So I'm wondering, I see this stuff at a glance. Is this what the government's actually delving into when they're coming up with policy like this? You know, who's doing the homework? Mark Saunders, you've had to be part of budget planning and stuff. How much of how 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 important are the details when you when you're when you're putting a plan together? The details are critical and it takes a, a huge team to get to what that bottom line is. And you know, with this budget, I think the Chief DemQ did a good job. You know, he didn't overextend. In fact he he, he struck a fair balance uh, to approach the needs for today's environment. So uh, having the 300 uh, extra uh, frontline folks out there to help uh, reduce the uh, calls for service, especially those high-priority ones, making sure that that neighborhood community officer uh, program is still intact. And the thing that I liked that he mentioned was that 25% of his frontline folks right now have five years or less on the service. He needs more supervision 
And that's really key and critical. And so if they give him the opportunity to do that, it'll really make those uh, those 25% so much stronger. Those will be our future leaders. And then as they grow, um, you know, the city's safe and the, and the frontline men and women are safer. That's right. That's right. I, I want to move on to a, a more personal story. Um, we, we heard a few years ago that uh, Céline Dion, the incredible Quebec singer, uh, was, uh, was uh, enduring something called stiff person syndrome. A lot of people didn't really know what that was. And now we find out from her sister that she's lost control of her muscles including those that allow her to sing. Now, anybody who has ever, you might, you might not think that she is the most important singer in your life. You might, uh, you might not like her music, but nobody can deny the talent in Céline Dion and the fact that her body is failing her and preventing her from sharing that gift at this point is a tragedy. When you heard this story, Stephanie, what did you think? Oh, it's just, it's, Absolutely devastating. I think because what you're talking about, Celine Dion, I completely agree in terms of talent. Like, I think unmatched, you know, there's only a few singers, you know, I put in her category, right? Yeah. Like Barbara Streisand and, you know, just you know, incredible range. Just, I, you know, I was listening to a lot of her music last night, just kind of going through the hits that she's had. And yeah, she hasn't been that you know, cool pop sensation, but she is an artist and she is exceptional. And this is, you know, and she is a Canadian treasure. And to hear this, it's just, it's cruel. Yeah. When that's, that's what strikes me at first. Like why, you know, and that is the randomness of life. Yeah. And it's the sadness of it. And Mark Saunders, for, for those who think that, uh, that, that Céline Dion's career has not affected them, uh, they need to appreciate that prior to her arrival in Las Vegas, the types of singers that you saw in Las Vegas were people at the tail end of their career. And she showed that someone at the peak of their success and popularity could make a home in Las Vegas, make a ton of money, and transform the Strip into a place where you would see the biggest stars in the world. Were it not for her, you wouldn't have all these other stars having residencies in Las Vegas. She really changed the economy of that entire city. She's a brilliant talent, and, and, and what she's brought to the music industry was, was phenomenal. And we talk talent, so, you know, her voice never docked. They're just pure natural talent. Since since a teenager, they discovered her. And what was great, too, about Celine Dion, the fact that she's Canadian, dealing with 30, you know, 40 million people yeah. versus, you know, CRTC had nothing to do with her success. No. I mean, she was international, and you can go anywhere in the world and, and hear a tune sung by her. Well, she she um she performed, I believe, for the Pope uh, when she was very very young. She sang a song called Une Colombe, and uh, and and became very popular in Quebec. But one of the reasons she became uh, famous outside of Quebec, and I'm I'm not tooting my horn, I'm going to toot my parents' horn, was she mm. was introduced to uh, David Foster, the the great Canadian yeah. talent. And, and he helped shepherd her. My, my mother hosted an event for cystic fibrosis research in, in, in Ottawa, actually right across the, the river in, in uh, Gatineau, well, it was Hull at the time, at what was the Museum of Civilization, now is the Museum of Canadian History. And, um, and it, was the, it was called the 65 Roses Gala. And she performed there with David Foster. And after that, he took her under his wing. And she, she, uh, she went through the, the monumental, um, uh, she, uh, she, she didn't speak a lick of English. And for her to have changed how she speaks and how she sings, very hard for a French Canadian to, uh, to adopt um, 
the, the sort of the, the the North American English, and she did a very very good job. Her accent was always still there, but um, she worked very very hard to crack the English market. It's not an easy thing to do, and she did it. Well, and then, you know, looking, I was saying I was looking at some of her videos just last night, and there was you. We all know the success of Titanic, right? Which I think uh-huh, yeah. in 1998 helped put her solidify her spot on the map. And she did the performance at the Oscars that night. And for uh, that year that Titanic won, right? And it was just, you know, it was chilling to hear her sing. And all the other songs that she has done that have just put her in a whole other category. And they're, you know, like All By Myself. Remember that song? Like where she just, you know, goes to another range, right? And and she just, she sings anymore. I I was obsessed with her, I'm going to admit, right? Oh, and it's yeah. it's just everything about her voice was just and my favorite song of hers mm-hmm. just to say we're in the Christmas season. Oh, holy night is my favorite Christmas carol. Oh, it's our <laughs> hymn, and to hear Celine Dion sing it, it just brings chills. And I every Christmas, it's a favorite of mine that I subject my family to over and over again. <laughs> my, my my favorite song by her is Pour que tu m'aimes encore. Uh, which is a, a French a French song. If you ever, if if you want to hear a song where you might not understand all the words, but you'll understand the the emotion behind it, that's a beautiful one. Um, I want to move on to uh, uh, to a, a funny story. So, like last night, I, I hosted my family's my sibling's secret Santa party, and my secret Santa gave me a piano key necktie. I immediately <laughs> laughed because it took me back to a scene in the movie Zoolander where we discover that Will Ferrell's character of Mugatu uh, in a previous life was the inventor of the piano key necktie. And it immediately brought me to that, that, that scene. I knew my brother Mark was my secret Santa because only he would, uh, would, um, would, would get. I invented the piano key necktie. I invented it. That's it. So I heard that. I saw that in my head. As soon as it happened, it took me right to that moment. I laughed so hard and it got me thinking because there's this story of Billy Crystal returning to Cat's Deli for the first time since he shot that that famous scene with Meg Ryan and when Harry met Sally. And I was start I started thinking about all these iconic scenes from movies that we all we we have we have very personal reasons that we love them, but they take us right back to a moment. I want to ask you: yeah. Do do you guys have Mark Saunders? Do you have a, a movie or a scene that immediately transports you to another place? Yeah, two quick ones will be job-related. The, the first in the 90s when I was on one of the tactical gun teams, uh, Predator, uh, when someone <laughs> said to Jesse the body, you're bleeding. He said, I ain't got time to bleed. Uh, <laughs> it was one of the funny ones. But um, in Avatar, uh, when, when the Navi would say, I see you, yeah. um, it, it was reminiscent of whenever I had to interview people when I was in homicide, especially the live victims. And, and the, the I see you is I see you, I see your hurt, I see your pain. And when you can remove those barriers and when that person understands that that's how you feel, um, you, you really get a, a good interview and, and it's a comfortable interview, even though the setting is horrible. So those would be the two for me. I like that. I, I, by the way, can I say I very much appreciate that you uh, you speak kindly of Avatar. There's this weird fascination with with um, denigrating the accomplishments of Jim Cameron. We've already talked about Titanic, mm-hmm. right? Now one yeah. of the top one of the top movies of all time. Avatar and Avatar Two are both two of the top five, six movies of all time. Um, 
And, and, and Jim Cameron did that. And everyone keeps saying he can't repeat it. And he does. He keeps making these movies that everyone in the world goes to see. And then once people have seen it, they say he's never going to do it again. And yet he so- somehow finds a way. So I do appreciate, <laughs> I do appreciate the fact that you, you speak kindly of Avatar. Um, what about you, Stephanie Smythe? Okay, well, listen, I'm going to admit that my, my movie choices are not, like, you know, fantastic or hey, anything. So just, no, no, <laughs> hey, listen, you like what you like. Don't, don't, don't worry about the haters. They're going to hate. Okay, good, because I am a really, like, it, people laugh again, my, my music and my movies. But anyway, um, I just, obviously, the, the Harry Met Sally for me, one of my all-time yeah. favorite movies, and the deli scene, obviously. And I... I go on the humor side okay with my when i watch movies i want to escape i want to laugh some drama is great and and tv series you know we talked about the wire i'm trying to get through that you know (laughs) um but look generally i need to laugh but you know the one scene that always makes me melt and it's in love actually and i know it's a christmas movie but it's the scene when emma thompson um puts in a cd joni mitchell both sides now and she just it was so when she discovered that her husband, the character played by Alan Rickman, you know, was probably having an affair and just the way yeah. that music, Joni Mitchell's voice and then seeing Emma Thompson just dissolve. It is just, you know, that to me is just so, so poignant and really moves me every time. But, you know, otherwise it's like, you know, Step Brothers, the drum set scene. Yeah. Did we <laughs> just know? become best friends? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. We have lived that life in this house with the drum set. And yeah, so those are two that make me laugh. And there's hilarious scenes in Four Christmases with John Favreau reading the ah, yes. on. I mean, I, I die every time. Every yeah. time. And then when he plays, they play that game, the, the husband and wife when she's pregnant, you know, John Favreau's character and playing that game of how well do you know each other? Anyway, those are my those are my scenes that make me howl or really make me cry. So what, one of mine is, uh, and I just told you about Mugatu, obviously, and uh, but then there's uh, there's um, so I married an axe murderer. Have you ever seen oh. that movie? I yeah. thought once ages yeah. ago. Okay, I so I married an axe murderer is is probably one of Mike Myers' greatest accomplishments of all time. It's one of his earlier films before he blew up with Wayne's World. But that doesn't mean that his portrayal of his... He played his own Scottish father in this movie. Uh, and, and, and his dad is a conspiracy theorist. A theorist. And, and my brother and I, I don't think we go a week without somehow quoting his, his Scottish father, where he says, it's a well-known fact that the world is controlled by the five richest families known as the Pentavrit. Who control everything, including the newspapers. Dad, who's in this pentavrit? The Queen, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, the Vatican, and Colonel Sanders before I went tuts up. Oh, how I hated the Colonel with his wee beady eyes and that smug look on his face. Oh, you're going to eat my chicken. Oh, Dad, how can you hate the Colonel? Because he puts an addictive chemical in it that makes you crave it fortnightly. That's why you're smart ass. Oh my God! I can't remember my social insurance number, but I can remember that. I hope Mike Myers hears this someday. Yeah, I I I don't know. I I think he would. I think he would be scared and he would run away. But (laughs) run away! Okay, I'm not going to do that one either. But yeah, but there's there's something about those movies, right? They they take me right back. I wish we could end on this happy note, but instead, I want to talk about something that I just saw on social media, where Mm -hmm. yesterday. Right on uh, going north on Young Street, there was um, an ambulance that was trying to get north 
and was prevented from getting north because there's nowhere for cars to move out of the way Mm -hmm. because of the permanence, uh, the permanence of the bike lanes. And this this one um, this one uh, emergency vehicle was prevented for over 30 seconds from even getting out of an intersection. And this was just one of many intersections. It was going to have to go up on its way to somebody uh, who, who desperately needed the help of this ambulance. I heard a story about earlier this year on that same route north. Someone was having a heart attack and they were told by the ambulance, we're, you're going to need to walk yourself out to the street and walk down the street because we can't get to you. This is increasingly becoming a, 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 a public safety, a, public, a health hazard. The bike lanes on Young Street are preventing emergency vehicles from getting to where they need to go. How can we solve this, Mark Saunders? I'm going to start with you. Um, well, by not taking the, the busiest street in the country and making it single lane both ways, I believe it was stuff that I spoke on. Uh, bike lanes play a role, but they don't play a role on the major streets. And, and we're seeing what it's caused right now. And we're one of the worst in the world when it comes to traffic congestion. So I still stand firm on that. I'm not bike opposed, but it can be done right. And uh, the city needs to take that uh, that approach if they're going to help save lives. Yeah, Stephanie, it's it's really important that Mark Saunders said that because saying that a bike lane doesn't belong on Young Street is not saying that bike lanes don't belong in the city of Toronto. But there is a certain type of advocate in this city that will take anything that somebody so when anybody says that wasn't the right decision on bike lanes, they will turn that into I hate bike lanes. I, w- I never want bike lanes and I, I have no respect for cyclists. And that's not the same thing. There's no nuance in this debate. Right. And sometimes you wonder, once again, how much thought was given to emergency vehicle access with the creation of these bike lanes? What is supposed to happen if cars have nowhere to go? Now, I do watch emergency vehicles and the public response. When, when you see lights flashing behind you or coming at you, my automatic, you know, pull over to the right as far as I can, get out of the way. I wonder if it's people aren't you know, also, if that's combating the problem, maybe Mark could or adding to the problem, or to speak to this, are people responsive enough you know, when you're driving as well to understand what you have to do to help this situation? You know, understanding there's little or less room to maneuver. Um, everybody's got to be like hyper aware of that at the same time. Yeah, well, listen, when it's rush hour, there's nowhere on Young Street to pull to the right because there is no right. right. Wellesley, same thing. There are a couple of streets I could name them, but anyway, that's... Uh, uh, we have to figure it out, but it's certainly not today. Well, and the, the, the most the most frustrating part of it is it, it would be one thing. We would be having a very real debate if I was if I looked at those bike lanes and actually saw people using people them. in them. Yeah. And, and I'm, I don't care. I, I don't care if anybody comes at me on social media and it happens. There are some very aggressive pro bike lane people who hear when I say things like this and they come at me. Those bike lanes are are not used by anyone who is not using an e-bike, which means most often it's a high, it's like, it's like, it's like an HOV lane for Uber, uh, Uber Eats. That's who's using it most. It's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's Mm -hmm. electric bikes that go faster than, than, than the speed limit uh, actually allows. I think you're allowed 40 and these things can go as high as 50. Uh, It's, um, I, I don't see anybody using them on the, on the nicest days of the year. And so the fact that we, we can't even have this debate and nobody's using the lane is so frustrating. It is so frustrating. Mark, why do you think that it didn't resonate as much as as it should have during the election campaign? 
Well, you know, there, there are a lot of moving parts to it. And, you know, you, you, you deal with the strategist and you put your game plan together and, and uh, you do the best that you can. And so at the end of the day, you know, we've, we've got Mayor Chow that's in the seat and, and uh, her, her, her primary thing was uh, affordable housing. So I, I think that's the measure that she'll be judged on. And uh, that is the number one issue, affordability and, and affordable housing. So um, I think that overall uh, capsized all the other discussions. Mark Saunders, uh, Stephanie Smythe, thank you so much for joining us on what was a terrific think tank. Hope to see you soon.